0: Many celebrities choose one issue. You have chosen many. Why? I have a hard time saying no.
1: I'm going to need you all to get fired up right now, okay? I love my country enough to know that it's broken. My issues of growing up in the business really didn't surface until
0: I had my first child.
1: I am most myself when I am in service to others.
0: There's some people who are super triggered by you.
1: Screaming at people on Twitter. That's Alyssa Milano. I don't like her.
0: Why do you think that (laughs) is? That's because I'm good at it. Welcome, everyone. I'm Aisha Sassei, and you're listening to The Accidental Activist, the show where we discover the sparks that ignite people's passion to change the world. Joining me this week is Alyssa Milano who first burst onto the scene as a plucky seven-year-old in the hit 1980s U.S. sitcom Who's the Boss? Before years later, bewitching a whole new generation of fans in the Supernatural series Charmed. And, of course, there was also a stint on that other teen mainstay melodrama, Melrose Place. I can't actually believe that I'm saying this. But Alyssa Milano has been on our screens for more than four decades. Come to think of it, in some ways, it feels like Alyssa and I sort of grew up together. Her, mainly here in the US, while I hopped between Sierra Leone and the UK. But those early characters that she played were all a big part of my life. As an adult looking back, it's easy to see what made her so compelling. She was always boldly speaking up, seemingly living life on her own terms and forever unapologetic about the choices she'd made. And if you've been keeping tabs on Alyssa Milano's parallel career as an activist, you already know that being unapologetic is not an act. That is part and parcel of who she is. And while this quality endears her to many there's no denying that it also seems to send others into a weird mix of cross-eyed, blood-boiling rage. Now, having found myself the target of public raging at different points in my own career as an activist, I was really keen to have Alyssa Milano on my show to try to understand how she's been able to remain committed to being a change agent when over and over again she's been at the centre of what at times appears to be an unending firestorm of abuse. There's also something else that has long intrigued me about her. I've never quite understood her desire to champion so many different issues at the same time. I went into this conversation expecting it to serve as a roadmap to tackling hate, but instead, what I discovered was something so much more profound... You could call it a mini guidebook to navigating humanity with love. Alyssa Milano, welcome to The Accidental Activist. Thank you so much for having me. It is wonderful to see you and to have you with us. Hmm. I want to start by just asking you, you have been straddling the world of acting and activism for such a long time. What has that been like for you?
1: um it's been really fulfilling and actually has put i think some really important weight behind being an actor or a celebrity if if you will um i've been i've been at acting since i was 7 and my activism started when i was 15 years old so for me i don't really know acting
0: without the
1: activism part
0: you mentioned the start at 15. Can you describe that, that moment? Can you just set it up for our listeners? Sure, I would love to. Um, when I was 15 years old, I was
1: kind of, I don't know, like a teen icon. I was on a show called Who's the Boss? That went for eight years. Um, and I was 15 and I got this phone call from from Elton John, just to let you know how obscure my life as a teenager
0: was. <laughs> wow.
1: And he said, I have a friend. His name is Ryan White, and he would love to meet you. Uh, He's a really big fan of yours. And Ryan White at the time really changed the way in which we look at HIV/AIDS. He uh, got AIDS from a blood transfusion, and they kicked him out of school. And he fought for his right to go back to school. He spoke in front of Congress, and he was just this. Really miraculous, bright light, and I met him, and he and I started a a friendship. And one day he just called me and he said, "Uh, "I'm wondering if if you would come on TV to kiss me, just like that, uh, just like that." And I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, people think that you can get this from casual contact. Will you come on the Phil Donahue show?" Right. And, and kiss me to prove that you can't get it from casual contact. And I did.
0: Now, I just wanted to just pause for a second because you were 15. I to was 15. To underline that.
1: And it was at the time where there was uh, a lot of stigma attached with HIV/AIDS. There was, you know, an, an ugly political angle that it was given that basically vilified. The LGBTQ plus community vilified IV drug users. And before Ryan came along, it was basically the government used it to prey on our every single fear about public health and safety. And then here was this kid, this brave little boy, who said, No, this is not what this disease looks like. I'm what this disease looks like. And You can get this from a transfusion. And I realized through my relationship and friendship with him that we could shape narratives. Right. And we could reshape narratives and what it really meant to have a platform. And and for the first time in my life, I felt like
0: being a celebrity made sense. So as a 15-year-old, you have this kiss, you see the reaction, it's immediate. You tell yourself, this is what i meant to do, it makes the acting make sense. What is it that you tell yourself that you are going to do? Do you name it activism as a 15-year-old? No, I think at
1: 15 years old, it's more about community service and being of service. To, to people. And it wasn't until 2000 that I realized that I needed to be hands on, no matter how heartbreaking or painful that was for me.
0: And that decision came about because
1: I, I lived in South Africa for three months. In 2000, I did a European mini series and I worked one day a week. And while I was there, it was only nine years after apartheid was abolished, and while I was there, I volunteered in a township in a children's hospital, and I realized that my heart needed that hands-on, boots-on-the-ground approach to doing good, and that I have kept with me my entire life.
0: I was looking at the the issues that you champion, that you push forward, and you are committed to humanitarian and progressive causes, women's rights, fighting NRA, you mentioned UNICEF, you were named one of the silence breakers, Times Collective Person of the Year in 2017. Many celebrities, many people in the public eye choose one issue. You have chosen many. Why?
1: I have a hard time saying no. (laughs) And I have the brain capacity to do it. And I have the curiosity to do it. I think a lot of what I am good at as far as being an activist is the amount of research and learning that I do about issues, about policy issues, about foreign affairs. And I think I enjoy it. I enjoy that part. It would be much easier if I was just like, you know what? Immigration is going to be my thing. But it's all, at the end of the day, about humanity and fighting for equal humanity. And so I don't know how I would ever be able to pick just one focus.
0: So... You, from 15 to now, have progressively become more and more centered in the activism, known, celebrated, if you will, and for some people, they would say reviled for the activism. How has that been received by those around you? First of all, how did they feel when you even started on this journey?
1: Well, I mean, at 15, going on TV and kissing someone who's HIV positive didn't make my childhood much easier. Um, I'd imagine. Yes. You know, the trolling started then, except it wasn't on social media. I would get horrible, horrible hate
0: hate mail. and People would actually write to
1: you? Oh, yeah.
0: Write And say write what? Letters
1: and say that I was dirty or that they would use derogatory yeah. Yeah. terms or, you know, whatever it. It, it was. And even though for those on the outside looking in, it seems like this has been a pretty quick trajectory to where I am now, it really isn't. It's because social media has enabled me to talk about it at my, on my own terms, at my pace, that it seems like it's you know, political activism. I started at in in two thousand as well, when when Gore had the election stolen from him.
0: Good grief! Look at that awkward. eleven. That that means automatic recount.
1: The suspense is mounting in Florida tonight. Ignoring votes means ignoring democracy itself. This would be neither fair nor accurate. You know, two thousand four. I campaigned heavily for Kerry. I'd never done anything like that before. They would. And what was that
0: down. like? It what was, was that really, like? It was
1: really interesting because you know, mind you, now. Everything's in an app. And you know that's who's right. a registered Democrat or Republican, so you know which doors to knock on. But then you just had sheets of paper with addresses. So I went I would like peek in the window and see what kind of furniture they had.
0: And they that's that, Alyssa Milano peeking through our right. window. <laughs> no, and and I would
1: be like, Oh, they have a beanbag chair. I bet they'd vote for Kerry. Like that's like <laughs> like that's how the that's the how it worked there, then. Yeah. yeah. But I would go into the middle of college campuses on the back of a pickup truck with a bullhorn and, you know, and just get out there and, and rally. And that began my love for driving people to the polls, which I still do to this day. Um, and I've done it every election. Uh, the last The last election that I was able to do it was 2018 during the midterms, obviously, because of the pandemic. But I hit 6 districts in the state of California and drove people to the polls Incredible. from the southern to the northern of California.
0: If we if we stay with these particular um issues and concerns and and voting rights and and what you've done around elections, how is that how has that changed you? I think I'm madly in love with
1: the potential of America. I think had I not had those experiences, and maybe I've romanticized them to an extent, but there's nothing like going into a small district, someplace where you've never been, and being in someone's garage. And I don't know, there's something when you do that kind of work, you realize that it's the small things that make up the big things. Whereas I feel like if you don't do that work, you just feel this immense huge immense federal government power right and I don't look at politics that way I look at it as a people getting into politics for the right reasons from a place of service and trying to win to make
0: people's lives better are you I an think- optimist I-, I ask that because I wonder whether to be this to do the kind of work, that you do, and to hear you talk about your love for America and it being deepened and broadened in these encounters, it makes me wonder: Do you have to have at least an an optimistic inclination to no, do this kind I'm, of work? I'm
1: certainly pessimistic
0: because um, I'm optimistic, and I think that's the only way I can keep going yeah, doing this.
1: No, I mean I think there's an element of that for sure, but I think that I'm I'm very. Um, Pragmatic. I have certain I'm pragmatic about it. Like I'm fully aware. I love my country enough to know that it's broken. Right? Like I don't look at it as the framers really got everything right. Oh no. I don't
0: they, know how they, many people, I don't really i are still thinking that they got all of that right. <laughs> yeah,
1: they they really didn't. And so, you know, I I think um I'm pragmatic about it, but you know, idealistic in in the potential.
0: A lot to unpack from the first part of the conversation. Truthfully, as someone who's committed to only one issue, girls' empowerment and gender equity, part of me will always be a little bewildered by the number of issues Alyssa champions. But I found the way she explained why she does it deeply moving. She summed it up beautifully At the end of the day, it's about humanity. So how could one ever be able to pick just one focus? I guess I'm just always a little worried that if I speak out on too many things, at some point, people will stop paying attention. But putting my own fears aside, if you're listening to this and want to use your voice, time and energy to tackle multiple issues, do it. Don't let self-doubt hold you back. Follow Alyssa's example. Do the work and get out there. Remember, though, the work is key. Without it, you've got nothing and you'll never achieve anything. Time for a quick break. But stay with us, because when we come back, the full story of how a late-night tweet thrust Alyssa Milano into the very heart of the Me Too movement, the surprising fallout that followed, and how she weathered that storm. Hey listeners, I wanted to tell you about another podcast I think you'd love from Wonder Media Network, Womanica. In just five minutes a day, learn about different incredible women from throughout history that you may not have heard of, but definitely should know about. Each month, Womanica focuses on a different theme from storytellers to troublemakers. This month, Tune in to learn more about eco-warriors with special guest hosts like Constance Zimmer and Erin Brockovich. Plus, if you didn't catch last month's episodes on innovators, from the inventor of the dishwasher, to changemakers that spearheaded the Equal Rights Amendment, now is the perfect time to binge. Tune in to Womanica every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Accidental Activist and part two of my interview with actor Alyssa Milano. In this second half of our wide-ranging conversation, we discuss convicted sex offender Harvey Weinstein and the very difficult subject of sexual abuse. Some of you may find part of the discussion disturbing. But first... And what are the qualities you would say you need? We talked about needing to do the work, and we define the work. To be an activist, what are the other qualities when you look at the things that you consider to be central to your ability to have impact or to stay on this path? What else do you feel people need to cultivate if they don't naturally have? I think the hardest thing, maybe not the
1: hardest thing to cultivate, but the hardest thing to live in is empathy Mm. because it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts to go to Flint, Michigan and and see kids who have been impacted with lead poisoning and you know, live in a food desert. It hurts. But it's it's a necessary pain because it's a pain that you're able to carry with you to motivate you to keep going. I've seen some really fucked up things mm-hmm. um in my activism and I think you have to be okay to have your heart broken.
0: A lot of people you, are afraid of that. Yeah. I also
1: think you have to be comfortable with being disliked. I also think you have to be okay with not being attached to a result.
0: Interesting,
1: And that's probably the hardest part for me, because there is so much work that goes into it. To think that... And it's not just me, mind you. Like... Like Alice Paul, who wrote the Equal Rights Amendment, you know, in 1920, Mm -hmm. she didn't get to see the Equal Rights Amendment Mm -hmm. ratified by Mm -hmm. the 38 states. I've been fighting for the Equal Rights Amendment. I did. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. It is ratified by the 38th state. So you have to be okay with planting the seed and allowing others to cultivate.
0: But it's hard, Alyssa. It's really hard. It is,
1: for sure. It's hard. It's really hard, but you have to have it. And you have to be okay with not being attached to to the result. You have to put in the work now. You have to plant the seed. You have, to, you have to cultivate it. You have to prune it. You have to water it. You have to nurture it. And you have to be okay with maybe that it's your granddaughter who's going to be able to sit under the tree and say, my grandma planted this tree.
0: But what if the issue you're fighting for, so let's take a Flint, Michigan. In in my case, the Nigerian schoolgirls who were kidnapped, 276 were taken that night. To this day, 112 are still missing. And my work has been to try and keep that story alive, to continue to try to galvanize a public pressure that will make the government, (laughs) I mean, I don't want to make it sound as if they don't care about their own people, but I can only go by their own actions, the Nigerian government that, you know, 112 girls are still unaccounted for. If success is defined as those children coming back home, or young women as they are now, and they were taken in 2014 and we're in 2021 and they still aren't back, then from where I sit, and this is comes back to how you have to, the work you have to do on yourself, mm-hmm. I'm not okay with the failure. The question is, how do you come to terms? Or how do you live with what is, in my book, failure?
1: Well, I think it's love.
0: Oh, some days I I do better than others.
1: Well, yeah, and that's the same in relationships and and love of something so much. Not every day is going to feel right. Sometimes you're going to have to let things go. But the thing that keeps us wanting to keep the story alive, wanting to keep fighting, is love. A love of humanity a love of possibility i think there is no greater love than to give of yourself in a way where you know you might have your heart broken right that's all of activism you are loving something so much to do everything you can for that thing with the knowledge that your heart may be broken
0: you know i i think that's a beautiful way of framing it and i And yes, it it makes perfect sense. And it resonated because it's true. It is that love of humanity and that enduring, resilient love that even when it's, you know, I I wrote an op-ed, I co-authored an op-ed about the conflict in Ethiopia and how little attention is being paid to a conflict in which it's a man-made famine with 400,000 people starving, you know, mass rape of women and girls, two million people displaced. And- I can honestly say this to Aly- to you, Alyssa. Barely made a blip. Yeah, and that day was it was humbling.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing is too is somehow, and I and I haven't figured this out yet, but I feel like somehow the internet has made everyone closer. In the sense that it really does feel like a global community. But I think that that hurts us because I think we just think everything is 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 our world. You know, we're not able to see the struggle in right. Ethiopia or right. Sudan or, you know, Angola or Kosovo yeah. or wherever yeah. it is. Yeah. And it's harder... In this 24-hour news cycle for the news networks to actually cover world news. Right. Because when I was little, in the first plight of Ethiopia and famine, Mm -hmm. it was on the world news every single night. And there were commercials. Donate. I mean, I'm a UNICEF ambassador. I remember those UNICEF commercials with the little children with the flies in their Absolutely. eyes. We don't have anything like that anymore. In a way, I, I think it, it should be easier to get these stories out because of the internet. But because of the algorithms, exactly, our internet experience is only giving us the things that are in our own silo, right? Exactly. Our, in our own world. And so it becomes very hard to, to raise awareness.
0: We could, we could talk about this, for, but I do want to talk about, I guess, a win that you were part of, because I also want people to understand how you can use social media and you can be part of launching a movement. And of course, I'm referring to Me Too and that tweet you sent out on October 15, 2017. Can you you know, take us through that because I've read the different descriptions of it that, you know, you were like, i'm I was, I'm just on my phone, going to do ten minutes tops, and you know, retweet me too, if this applies to you. Can you tell the story? Yes, so
1: it had been weeks of hearing about Harvey Weinstein and not anything really about his victims, except they were so brave to come forward, you know, and it was a lot of very patronizing. News coverage about about the the naming and taking down this horrible man, but it was hard. It was hard for me. It was hard because of my own sexual abuse that that I didn't, I thought I had dealt with, but I hadn't really dealt with. And it was hard because I had this beautiful, incredible little daughter, and I was shooting in Atlanta, Georgia, and I had an early call the next morning. And Bella was in bed with me. She still sleeps with me to this day. Uh, she's seven. And we sleep together. And it's my most favorite time of the day. Anyway, so so she's laying there and I'm watching the news. And it's, you know, some report about, about CNN and Harvey. And I just got really emotional. I just got really emotional. And it was something about looking at my beautiful sleeping child and connecting me to a business that is has always been really horrible and then her and thinking god if she has to go through what i went through i don't know how to prepare her for that and so whatever i picked up my phone and i got a, a dm from charlotte climber who is a a wonderful trans activist and a dear 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 friend of mine and she had sent me just that screen grab that I put on with my tweet. Right. And she said, this is floating around Facebook. I don't know if you want to do anything with it. I don't know where the source is from, whatever. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I just literally just attached it, wrote the tweet, went to bed, shut my phone, went to bed. The hashtag wasn't even in the original tweet. Interesting. It just said, reply with me too. Okay. And I woke up to thirty thousand replies. And then wow. it had shifted into a a hashtag. And I that that twenty four hours later it was used something like four million times. Yeah. Three days later it was twenty four million times. and it just kept growing. And about the third day I got a call from my publicist saying, Do you know that Me Too is a thing? Before you sent the tweet, and I was like, "Oh my god, it was! Oh my god, I'm horrified! Like, how? What? What? Who? And what? And how can I figure that out?" And she sent me Tarana Burke's blog about yeah, me from too. 2006, when, I think she yes, started. And yeah, and when she and when she she started me too, and I found her on Twitter, and I she was following me, and I sent her a DM and said, "Can we jump on the phone?" I had no idea, and at that point. And when I was on the phone with her, I promised her that there would never be a time that I didn't give her her very due credit for starting this incredible movement. And it really is incredible how she started it and why the origins of the story was that she was doing the work that she's been doing for 20 years mm-hmm. or whatever. And
0: Which people think was overnight and that she just appeared. Right. And she's been doing this work forever,
1: which... Remind me of why that that was so important in this moment, after I tell you this part. And she was with a little girl who was talking about being sexually abused. And she kept hearing the words, me too, me too, in her head, but she didn't have the courage to tell this little girl, me too. Which was like so incredibly powerful. And, 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 you know, we formed an alliance, really. And I cherish her. And getting back to the point that I was asking you to remind me of, this is a really fucking messy movement. And there are a lot of people who are perceived as being a part of the Me Too movement that don't have the integrity that Tarana Burke has. and. I'm so grateful, and I just texted this to her last week that there is someone who not only has her integrity, but also understands the work because she lives it to help steer this very messy, messy ship. And I fell in love with her talking about love because. In the midst of all of this chaos in that first two weeks that the that the tweet went viral, she called me one day and she said, Hi, I was just thinking about you. How are you doing? And that's a yeah. That's- and I felt like such relief that Not only, you know, that she was there, but that she was there for me because it was a lot of weight to carry. And I don't, even in the weight of it, in the thick of it, I don't think I realized how monumental it was until my field officer called me from UNICEF and said to me, I just wanted to let you know that me too made it to Ethiopia that's incredible four four little girls went to the authorities to tell the authorities that they were being abused by a teacher and that's when I was I don't know I just felt like like this messenger and it felt so much bigger than me. Even the way it evolved in that moment of the hashtag being added on and and, yeah. and all of it. It just It happened felt in very
0: organic.
1: It was organic. And it was a moment created a movement. And the moment started really shaky and and scary because Harvey Weinstein really made all of our fears as women really blatantly apparent and that abuse of power and that patriarchy and all of it and so to have something so magical and profound come out of that darkness i mean wow that's all, i i still i don't i don't know if you could tell but i when i talk about it yeah, it is yeah you're
0: emotional this i'm emotional but it. it's
1: also like it's like i'm i'm disconnected but so connected, that it's just, it's like, it changed me on a cellular level.
0: How do you cope when you find yourself under the microscope? How do you cope with the criticisms, the trolling? How do you fortify yourself to keep going? Because, you know, there's such a thing, I I was reading Forbes of the big piece on, uh, a whole piece on, you know, Milano derangement syndrome, that there's some people who are super triggered by you. That's because I'm good at it. I was gonna say, why do you think that is?
1: <laughs> it's because they can't cast me aside as someone who isn't educated on issues or policy or civics or political science or feminism or immigration or gun violence prevention. Um I know enough that I've scared the opponent into having to attack me. Uh, You know, I've had some really scary situations and it's unfortunate. The trolling, I don't know that that necessarily bothers me. I think that the internet is just filled with some people who get really brave when they're behind a computer.
0: Where does all of this leave the acting?
1: Because we've we've spoken so
0: passionately about the activism, and
1: my acting funds the 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 activism. <laughs> like it's not it's not cheap to be an activist.
0: Yeah. Oh, I know.
1: Um, I'm still acting. I'm also. Do you
0: enjoy it? Does it? Do you still? In. En- uh, I mean, it's you know. It, yeah, I, look,
1: here's the thing. I like it. I think I'm good at it. the The problem for me lies in this. I've worked really hard to figure out who I am and to heal my own shit, my own traumas. And that's a, that's always a work in progress, right? But to to go in on days where I'm not in the mood to dig that up, to be emotionally available for a scene, it's just not fun anymore. And I'm just at this point in my life where, like, I I maybe don't – I maybe can't do it as often. You're going to
0: quit? You gonna, Is this what you're saying to me? You no. Gonna qu- no, I'm you not going to quit.
1: I'm not going to quit. But I'm going to start to figure out what is is next. I have five projects in development right now. I have oh a script goodness. that I've written. You know, it would be – Really refreshing for me to, to, you know, write a book, a script, go to baseball games with, for my kids and gymnastics tournaments for my daughter and, and, and just kind of like that. Um, it's hard. Being an actor is, it's, it's like being just a, a raw nerve all of the time. And you have to keep that. You have to keep that. Like I'm able to cry about a bottle of vitamins that's sitting on my (laughs) desk right now, because I'm so conditioned to feel everything because of acting. Listen, how can I? I, I've been doing this since I was seven years old. Like, who can complain about this acting gig, right? Like, I'm not. Yeah, I'm complaining, but I'm like also in the same breath, so appreciative that people have found me interesting to watch for 40 years, (laughs) right? It's kind of like a weird, it's a weird thing, but um, I'll keep doing it. I'll know when the time is right to stop.
0: Hitting pause here. I think it's remarkable that Alyssa Milano and Tarana Burke struck up a deep friendship at a time when so many were trying to pit them against each other. I can't help but feel that a lot of folks were waiting, maybe even hoping, for a feud to spring up between these two women. Instead, what has emerged is a tale of love. Now, while I don't think many of you would be surprised to hear that being an activist is hard work, often left out of the conversation is the emotional toll the work has on us. So I'm truly grateful for Alyssa's willingness to acknowledge the weight of those emotions and the need for support. Every week, I do my best to bring you both insight and information that you can use in your life as an activist. Here are some important words of advice from Alyssa. What would you say to people who are getting geared up to get into this this ring, into this fight? How would you tell them to take care of themselves as they do the work as an activist? Because we've already said it is heavy and it is hard. So maybe self-care isn't the right word, but how do you look after yourself?
1: Um, I, f- I am a real big believer in, in taking care of your mental health through whatever means you need to, to do that with um, try very hard to erase the stigma of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds, um, and talk therapy, and um, somatic experiencing. Uh, somatic experiencing has has worked wonders for me. Um, and what is somatic experiencing? And so, somatic experiencing it's it's basically like trauma filled physical therapy. Okay. Where you don't even have to bring up your your trauma or talk about anything that hurt you in your past or your, you know, uncle or your whatever, wherever your trauma is, you don't even have to talk about it. He taps into the vagus nerve, asks you what's happening in your body, and to sort of pay attention to it and see what comes to mind. And then you do exercises to release
0: it. Interesting.
1: And, I mean, just talking about it right now, I'm feeling a um, bubbling sensation in my hands. And it's uh, it's helped me more than anything. And, and maybe that's because I had a lot of physical trauma with my sexual trauma that it was just like... It was Trapped just in st- your body. St- sticky in there. But... I highly recommend it and I highly recommend talk therapy. And other than that, I mean I, I love indoor plants. I don't know if you can see in my <laughs> can studio. See. <laughs> on this side of my studio, I have um propagation stations <laughs> where I'm trying to grow new plants. Um I I love to I do watercolor paint, which is really therapeutic because there's just no telling where the paint is gonna settle on the page and that's
0: Pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So people should just find what it is that they joy, joy. Yeah, find your joy. I think that's a beautiful place to leave it. Alyssa Milano, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been delightful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's worth repeating that Alyssa Milano started her journey as an activist at just fifteen years old. She's yet more proof that there's no such thing as being too young to take an interest in things that matter or to start speaking up for change. After more than 30 years of using her voice, standing her ground, and, of course, being unapologetic, I think Alyssa Milano has remained committed and effective because she's nurtured two major qualities, curiosity and empathy. And I think that's my biggest takeaway from speaking to her. You've got to remain curious about your chosen issue or issues. Do the work and keep your heart open. And just one more thing that Alyssa said that is worth repeating. Don't get attached to the result of your efforts. Full disclosure, I'm still struggling with that part, but I'm working on it. Increasingly, I try to take comfort in these words by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. With that in mind, I'm here to remind you that our job is simply to do the work wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for listening. Please take time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Follow me at Aisha Sassei on Twitter and on Instagram at I am Aisha Sasseh. The Accidental Activist is a Wonder Media Network production in partnership with Arella Productions. Executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and me, Aisha Sassei. Our producers are Brittany Martinez and Taylor Williamson. Until the next time, take care, everyone, and bye for now. Chances are you're listening to this show because you want to know how to fix this broken world. Well, I believe the more informed you are, the better. So check out Art of Power, a new kind of leadership podcast from WBEZ Chicago. Each week, award-winning journalist and best-selling author, Arthi Shahani, interviews fascinating people from all walks of life who've turned their passion into real-world impact. She focuses on outsiders, like herself. People who were excluded, who were told they don't belong, but broke through anyway. Her guests are household names like President Barack Obama, and names you don't know, but should, like Gabby Pacheco. The dream activist who cornered Obama into action. No question is off limits. Arthi takes you through intimate and unexpected conversations. That's her superpower. What's yours? Listen to Art of Power today, wherever you get your podcasts.